0: What you to know, as I, as I prepped for the message this week from Daniel, uh, I was reminded that we as Americans have some very interesting homespun sayings as, as part of our Americana lexicon, right? Okay, so we, we say things we don't even know where these sayings come from, but, but we use them anyway. So we think about things like, bite the bullet, or break the ice, or cat got your tongue, or butter someone up. And, and you may have wondered, haven't you ever wondered where do these things come from? Or is it just me? Okay. Well you need to know there's a whole website dedicated to just that. Okay, so so be, be rest assured. But here's, here's here's a couple that I learned this week as I was preparing for this message. So we've all heard the saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? So so as you're tossing unnecessary things, don't throw away in the process the most valuable things. And this is an interesting story, and because it's on the, on the interwebs, it must be true, right? So, so during the 1500s, people would bathe how often? Once. Not a day. Okay, wait for it. Not a month. A year, okay? So the, the entire family would use the same... Y'all, some of y'all are like giving me the look, okay? But they would use the same tub of water. So, of course, the man of the house went first... And then all the other males of the house went first, okay? Then the females, and last of all, that poor baby, okay? Can you imagine that poor baby? So at the end of that time, they're like, what, what do we do with this water? We can either bottle it up and save it for middle school mixer games, okay? Or, okay, or we'll toss it out. So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Now, we've all heard of handwriting on the wall, okay? A precursor of things to come, inevitability, um, fate, it seems, is destined to deliver a certain result. So for example, last yesterday in the first quarter of the Tennessee-Alabama game, when we had about a negative 300 yards rushing from scrimmage for the quarter, the handwriting was on the wall. This was not going to be our day. Okay, Handwriting on the wall. Now what's interesting about that saying, where does it come from? Interestingly, it comes right from our text this morning in Daniel chapter 5. So turn to Daniel 5. We've been in this series, um, we've called Hope in Exile. If you're guests, just know that we preach through books of the Bible. That's kind of our day, our weekly diet of going through the Word of God. This is, a, this is a sermon series we've titled Hope in Exile. And we've really looked at Daniel and his companions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were caught up in the exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So the Babylonians came. They destroyed Jerusalem, they conquered the people of Israel, they deported them um, 600 miles to the east, and Daniel and his companions were forced into servitude in the court of the king. And what we've been learning through this series is that Daniel and his companions don't just survive in Babylon, okay? They just don't hang on for dear life and sort of sequester themselves away so they won't be contaminated or they won't fall, no, no, no. They don't merely thrive, they survive. They thrive, I mean, sorry. They, they are not surviving, they are thriving. And when we think about thriving, understand they were not thriving physically. They were not thriving materially, or emotionally, or psychologically, or sexually, all the ways that we as Americans would define thriving, right? No, 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 quite the opposite. They were yanked from their beds in the dead of night, never to see their homes, never to see their families, never to see their country again. They were enslaved, forced into um, bondage to, to serve at the king's behest. They this is not you know this is this is in the text. They were castrated. They were made eunuchs. They had no hope, no hope for a family or a legacy or a lineage. They were enrolled in the dark, dark arts. They they served at the behest of this terrible pagan king. But but. They thrived spiritually in this way. They did not bow the knee. They remained faithful. And not only that, they bore an amazingly powerful witness to this incredibly hostile pagan culture. And as we've been going through this book, we've been asking, what in the world has gotten into these guys? What's sustaining them? What's fueling them? I I want a little bit of that right? A lot of us, we feel like we're in a Babylon, increasingly so. And we're asking, what's what's the secret juice here? And what's interesting we have found, it's not what these friends had discovered about themselves, or discovered what's deep within, or the resources they've drawn from their own souls. It's what they've known to be true about God. You know one of the one of the most famous verses, and we'll get to it in a few weeks. And all of Daniel is Daniel eleven thirty two. The people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Guys, we cannot stand firm, we cannot take action apart from who we know God to be, and that's going to be particularly true of our text this morning. So we're going to be in Daniel 5, and you might have noticed it's 31 verses, okay? So I thought I would pick one verse and preach on it. No, no, no. No, that's heresy. Absolutely not. We're going to read this whole passage. Can we do it? Do we have it? Do we have the fortitude to make it through 31 verses? We're going to do it. We're not going to break it up, okay, because you can't tell a story and break it up. It's like seeing the Star Wars, all seven Star Wars films and missing a new hope. Like that would just be catastrophic, right? The nerds are like, yes, Pastor Paul, go. Okay. Daniel 5. We're going to read the whole thing. We're going to pray and then we're going to get into it. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. And Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lord, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lord, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. And the king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then king Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king, king and the lords, came into the banqueting hall and the queen declared, "O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought before the king. And the king answered and said to Daniel, you are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold round your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver, of gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not... Now, you don't want to have Daniel show up and do the toast at your wedding, okay? That's not what you want. Then from his presence, we're almost there, the hand was sent and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. And this is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. In Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians." Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Last one of our elders, Kent Hamilton. I want to start doing this, guys, on, on, on a weekly basis as a way for you to get to know your elders and to really integrate them into the life of our worship here. Um, I'm going to ask an elder to pray for our passage. So Kent, would you stand up? Kent and Jan Hamilton have been here about 22 years at Four Oaks, and Kent's been serving um, about 20 years as an elder. Kent, would you pray for us and for God to lead us through His Word this morning? Lord, we're so grateful that we have the opportunity to consider this passage today. We're grateful that you have, by your very nature, called us and brought us out of, your, out of darkness and into your marvelous light. We just ask that we would learn all that you want us to learn from this really dramatic passage that we're going to look at today. We ask that we might take to heart just exactly what the Holy Spirit wants us to take to heart and that we might follow and do it from this time forth. Thank you for the opportunity to follow Daniel and see what Daniel's doing in this this passage and then to make that application in our lives. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Kent. Guys, one of the greatest sources of uh, family conflict in the Gilbert home... And Grace is looking at me like, oh my gosh, what are you about to say, okay? One of the great sources of conflict to our everlasting shame is who actually gets to control the DVR remote, okay? Because quite frankly, when it comes to the, and you know what I'm talking about, it's a learned art, Fast-forwarding through all those commercials, right? And then stopping at precisely the right point at the beginning of the next episode without going through a minute or two and missing what's going on, okay? There is a hoedown throwdown at the Gilbert house when that happens. And so, quite honestly, we just don't trust each other with it. So anyway, that's why Dad gets the remote. Guys, it's kind of like this text a little bit. There has been a massive fast-forward from the end of chapter 4 to the beginning of chapter 5, and we're kind of left scratching our heads a little bit and saying, no, wait a minute, I think we missed something here. Because remember from last week, Pastor Dave was preaching, we were in Daniel 4, and Nebuchadnezzar the king had just been restored to his throne, and he had made what is an amazing confession, okay? Um, Let's remind ourselves what he had said. This is at the end of chapter 4, Daniel 4. This is the King Nebuchadnezzar speaking. He said, I bless the Most High and praise and honor him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Done. That's from Nebuchadnezzar. And here we are, 2025, 20, 30 years later, and Nebuchadnezzar is gone. And a new guy, Belshazzar, is on the scene, and he is there for just the briefest of moments. And we're saying, what is going on in this passage? What is Daniel trying to teach us? Because I think. What Daniel is saying, and the, and the reason that these chapters are ordered in the ways that they are, is that Daniel's trying to say something like this. Hey, Four Oaks, this thing in chapter four about how God's kingdom is forever, and about how man's kingdom is a vapor, and about anything going on in your cultural, political context is just, I mean, God literally scoffs at it. Folks, you remember, you know how we talked about God sets up and takes down, God is in control, God has a purpose, God has a sovereign plan? All that stuff we studied last week? Well, chapter 5 let me give you a flesh and blood illustration of that. Let me show you that amazing truth that we learned last week. Let me show it to you and put it on display. May I present to you the person of Belshazzar. I think that's what Daniel is doing. There's going to be two aspects of God's character that are going to be particularly important for us to sort of wrap our minds around as we think about what it means for us to thrive as exiles. And remember, it's not first about us, it's first about him and who God has revealed himself to be. So we're going to talk about God's grace, and we're going to talk about God's Judgment And both of these are woven all through this passage. This passage is going to be terrible news for some. I'll just tell you that. I hope not for anyone here, but guys, it, it's, it's terrible news. It's dreadful news. When we think about the judgment of God, that is a real thing. But this passage is amazingly good news for the people of God, for those who trust in him. And you can walk out of here today feeling the hope and the confidence and the plan and the purposes of God applied directly to your heart through Jesus. That's what we want God to do this morning. All right, let's jump in the passage. Because there's a chart that's in your booklets, okay, so we, we make and I'm going to flash it up here, we make a booklet available to you where you can take notes for the sermon, you can take it to your community groups, you can do your quiet times in it. And it'll help us just historically just for a second to remind ourselves where we are in the process of Daniel. So remember in 605 BC, Daniel and his companions were taken captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler, the most powerful man in the history of the world up to that time. And Nebuchadnezzar ruled until about 562 and he died. We don't know exactly how. That's a, that's a whole different historical discussion and and remember Daniel was about 16 he was a young pup when he came in okay and and by this time by the end of Nebuchadnezzar's reign Daniel is getting up there in years he's he's in his 60s and by the time we get to Belshazzar Daniel is no doubt an elderly old man now you can see Nebuchadnezzar the line there and then when Belshazzar began ruling now, it says in the text that Belshazzar was the son of Nebuchadnezzar, or that Nebuchadnezzar was his father. And the Hebrew literally means predecessor. Okay? So, so Belshazzar wasn't literally the biological son. He might have been his grandfather or a great uncle or something like that. And Belshazzar began ruling on behalf of his father and ruled all the way to 539 B.C. That's where we are in this story. So there has been a big fast forward from the end of Daniel 4, you can see 20, 30 years, all the way to where we are in this text. Now let me just sidebar real quick. For, for, for millennium, scholars, skeptics scoffed at the book of Daniel as an example of why we cannot trust the Bible, why we cannot trust the Christian religion, because Nebuchadnezzar is a well-known attested figure in historical circles, but no one had ever heard of Belshazzar, no one. And there was no historical record of him. People looked at this as an opportunity to, to attack the historicity of the text, to say, you know, Belshazzar was clearly just a Fig Newton of someone's imagination, written 500 years after the fact, and we can't trust what the Bible says and throw it in the trash bin. Until, until the late 1800s, as they were doing excavations in the ancient ruins of Babylon, they, lo and behold, they discovered inscription after inscription of whom? Belshazzar. Now, I say all that to say that Four Oaks, and this is particularly relevant now in a culture. Which, which basically says whatever you personally assign meaning to, that's meaningful for you, regardless of whether it happens to be true for everyone else or not. You need to know something. The Christian faith is not a reality that has meaning only in your heart, although it's not less than that. For it to have meaning, it must have meaning in your heart. But the Christian faith, we worship a God of history, We worship a God who is not obtuse to the events of the world. We worship a God of history who's intimately involved in every human situation, of everything we see on Fox News and CNN, God's in the middle, God's orchestrating, God's working. God is not a bystander. And part of of what we get here in Daniel is that our God is active. Our God is moving. Our God is not a bystander the events that swirl around us. So here we have Belshazzar, he has a giant feast. It says he invites a thousand of his lords, okay? This is a big deal. This is not, hey honey, I'm bringing a couple of people over for dinner tonight, right? That, that's not this sort of thing. This is a throwdown. This is a feast. Um, they are raging. This is, this is a blowout, and it's very interesting timing, Because when you look at extra-biblical resources, you you realize that the Persian Empire at this time was on the move. In fact, the Persian Empire was only 50 miles away and had just dealt a devastating blow to the Babylonian forces. Two days prior to this story, they are literally in the neighborhood about to pay Belshazzar a very unfriendly visit, and he is throwing a party. And we have to ask, why? Why? Why now? One reason could be, and this, this is possible, is that, to use a term from the 80s lexicon, he was partying like it was 1999, right? Okay, eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. He knew he was done. Just let it all hang out, right? Or, and and I think this is more likely, and I'll show you why from the passage, Belshazzar just thought he couldn't be had. See, Babylon was impregnable. Babylon was glorious. Babylon had existed in supreme world dominance for centuries. It was an amazingly formidable place. Belshazzar is in, the, is in the safety of the confines of this, surrounded by thousands of soldiers, people doing um, his wishes and commands at his very behest, and he's throwing a feast. And the reason I think that he's feeling impregnable is what we find in verses 2 and 3. Look there. He calls, interestingly enough, they're having this feast, and he calls for the vessels of God. Now remember this from chapter 1. When Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem, he carried off items from the temple and the worship area, and this was sort of a a taunt, right? My gods are bigger than your gods, okay? You know, God of Israel um, could not stand up to to our polytheistic um, realm of gods, and so as part of our our, our taunt, degrading, lorded over you, we're going to cart your God's gear back to the temple of our gods, and now Belshazzar is bringing them out to eat and drink from. And now we may think, now that's kind of weird, okay, to 21st century ears, okay. You know, we, we, we like for example, our communion elements. We, we know there's no magic mojo in those trays, right? Okay, that's why the s- staff eats salad from them each and every week, okay. No, we don't do that. We run them through the dishwasher. Let me give you an example why, of why this, this, this symbol from Belshazzar, eating and drinking from the vessels of the temple, why it has so much meaning. If you work in an office building and you show up tomorrow morning and you get to your office and all your personal effects are outside your office, okay? So your books, your papers, your pictures, your little mementos, everybody has some mementos in their office, right? Um, your coffee mug, all right, and you're trying to figure out what is going on, okay, how do I interpret this, and you might think, well, you know, they're just moving the stuff out of my office because they're, they're cleaning it, or they're, or they're painting the walls, okay, or you might have an awesome boss, and you're like, my boss just invested 10 grand to redesign my office space, okay, that's surely what's going on until you turn around and look and you see the security officer walking towards you, right, (laughs) and demands your badge and demands your ID and your keys, and all of a sudden, the possessions that are outside of your office, that takes on a whole different meaning, doesn't it? The same thing here. Belshazzar brings out the articles of God because he is full of defiance. It's as if he's saying, My predecessor Nebuchadnezzar, he was powerful, he was awesome, he conquered these other gods. I'm just like him. The gods of Israel, and and, and we're going to find out later that he most certainly was aware of the prophecies of Daniel. He most certainly was aware of what we read last week in chapter 4. And he's basically saying, bring it on. Bring it on. The gods of Israel, you can't touch me. And he began to toast his gods with the loot from the God of Israel. Chaos might be raining out there, but I'm safe and sound right where I am. Guys, does that resonate at all for you personally? Had there been times in your life you just felt impregnable, self-sufficient? autonomous, independent. Because when, and by the way, when we feel that, okay, we can feel it over big decisions, we can feel it over the mundane events of our life, understand something. God, in His grace, takes that very moment and He begins to write on the walls of our life. So when we look back at the text, this is the state of mind. In verse 6, in what can only be described as an awkward dinner moment for $100, Alex, right? That's what we got here, okay? A hand on the wall appears and begins to write. And look what it says in verse 6. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, his knees knocked together. What does all that mean in the Hebrew, okay? it literally means he lost control of his faculties. Do you get what I'm saying? He, he wet his drawers, okay? Like that, that, that's essentially what, and probably some other stuff as well. Because I remember we took my parents one time to ride to, to, to Disney, went to Epcot, rode Soarin'. Now, if you ever rode Soarin', just remember, it's a simulated flight. Everybody got that? Simulated, okay? So you're flying over, these scenes in California, I know it's all changed now, they're flying over other things. And so we're sitting there, and as soon as the ride gets going, there is this woman on Susan's left or right who just be. She just comes unglued. Okay, she is crying. Okay, the only person who's ever done that on this ride with me is Josh. Okay, and anyway, he was crying. She was wailing. She was get me off, get me off, get me off. I can't believe here. Oh my God! I mean, she like she was coming unglued. Like she was having a full born panic attack as we're flying over the Golden Gate Bridge. Okay, it was just it was it was the most bizarre thing. And we think about what's going on with Belshazzar. That's it. That's exactly what's going on, except, make no mistake, this this was real. And I think Belshazzar was so terrified because his reality had been interrupted so unexpectedly, without warning, eating, and drinking, and partying, and then God shows up. Folks, I need and that's, that's going to be either be good news or bad news, depending on where you are aligned, this is not politically correct, with God. And here's something for us to understand, folks. Do you know that God is unbound? Do you know, do you really know that God can show up anytime, any place, anywhere, and do anything? You may look at the cultural winds of today in the political landscape. And you may say, there is no hope, whatever that word means to you. And we all ought to say, baloney, baloney. I mean, we may get carted into exile, okay? We may not. The point is, is that God does what he wills. God shows up whenever he sees fit, to write on the walls of human history. And guys, some of you might have the experience right now that God is writing on the walls of your life unexpectedly. You get the call that your child's been in an accident. You go to the visit with a doctor and you have an incurable disease. You get the divorce papers in the mail. Okay? You, you are devastated by some sort of financial tragedy. God shows up where He wills. This is why, by the way, James tells us, folks, be sober. Be sober. Okay? Not, not morose, but sober. Be on alert. Realize this world is fading away. It's passing away. It's full of hardship and anguish and pain. And we can never insulate ourselves from the reality that this life is a vapor. And that God's kingdom, though, is eternal. So back to the text. So look at verse 10. Queen shows up, and we don't think this is the, the, the wife of Belshazzar, probably his could be his mother or mother-in-law, grandmother. Um, She's undoubtedly an elderly lady. She wasn't at the feast, you know, probably in the back playing bridge with her friends or something. But anyway, she comes into the banquet hall, okay? Now, that's an understatement in the Hebrew. It basically means this was her drop-the-mic moment, okay? She walked in the room, and it was, okay, just like that. You know, you children of the 70s remember those E.F. Hutton commercials, right? Remember those? Okay. So, so there's a group of guys talking about their finances, and there's, and somebody says, well, you know, my advisor is E.F. Hutton. And E.F. Hutton said, and what does everybody do? They stop and crane their neck. Okay. Everybody's quiet. They're listening. What, is, what does E.F. Hutton say? And at the end of the commercial, it says, when E.F. Hutton talks, what? People listen. Okay. This is, the queen is the E.F. Hutton, okay, of the royal household, and she shows up, and she has got a word for Belshazzar, okay? Now listen to what she says, okay? She says, Belshazzar, uh, you know, (laughs) not sure what, what you're doing here, but there's somebody that can help you, okay? There's somebody that that can provide interpretation for what's being written on the walls of your palace. She kind of unpacks it. They bring in Daniel, verse 13, 14, and you can just tell that Belshazzar just holds Daniel in utter contempt. Now think about this. Daniel has been on the shelf for 20 or 30 years. Okay, 20 or 30 years. And, And he gives us a clue that he knows who Daniel is when he says, oh, oh, you're the Daniel of the exile. You know, it's like when you realize that such, such, such person is really this person. Oh, you're that guy. Oh, I have heard, okay? Now, now look at verse 22. Daniel reminds him that, that Belshazzar knew all of the things that Daniel is about to tell him. See, the reason Daniel, I think, no, I'm sorry, the reason Belshazzar did not call Daniel, you ever thought about that? He clearly knew him by reputation. He clearly still ministered in the, in the king's court, even if just as a bit player. It was, it's clear from the text we see in verse 23 that Belshazzar knew all about Nebuchadnezzar. He knew all about the prophecies. He knew all about chapter four. He knew all about it, but he doesn't call Daniel. Daniel. I have to say, why is that? I think it's because he knew exactly what Daniel would tell him. And he did not want to hear what Daniel had to say. Belshazzar, and, here, and here's where I want to start to bridge from, from there, 2,500 years ago to our lives today. Belshazzar had cut himself off from the very means of grace that God had sovereignly given him. Daniel on the sidelines, nowhere to be heard. And we think about the way this applies to us, folks. One of the primary ways that God speaks into our lives and makes us aware of our sin and aware of our need for grace, aware of our need to change, aware of our need to repent, is through people. It's through people. See, God, by His grace, is writing on the walls of every one of our lives. And it's through the very people that are around us that He helps us interpret what God is saying. And Belshazzar says, I want none of it. Because sadly, it's a parable for many 21st century Christians that. Jesus is a reality in my heart, personally, individually. But when it comes to the community of God, not so much. Here's a great quote. To be in the current of God's grace, we have to be in the community of God's people. Because often, and this was the case with Belshazzar and Daniel, it's the case in the church today, it's so easy to have what I would call high school reunion relationships with other Christians. Do you know what a high school reunion relationship is? Okay. You graduated from somebody with somebody 20 or 30 years ago. You don't really keep up. You cognitively knew they were a classmate of yours. You see their crazy Facebook post, okay? Ridiculous Facebook post, okay? You show up at the reunion, you chat a few times, and then you go home and to completely forget about them because they're completely irrelevant to your life, okay? Folks, I believe God has something more for us in our quest to thrive in Babylon. Folks, We need each other. I need you. You need him. And I don't mean like quasi spiritual, the city of Tallahassee is my church kind of thing. I'm talking about deep personal relationships. I want to invite us, based upon texts like this, to be exiles in mission together, deeply connected, deeply accountable. See, guys, when when God shows up and begins to write on the walls of our life, it is our brothers and sisters in community in Christ that walk alongside of us to give us hope and encouragement and peace. Okay, let me move on from that. Verse 25, we're going to wind this up. Verse 25, what were the words that were said on the wall? Aramaic words, units of money, most likely, Um, minas and shekels and a half, interpreted, they couldn't understand it because these were new kinds of words. Okay, they took the, the noun form and made them into verbs and whatever. Literally what they mean is, Belshazzar, you have been numbered, you have been weighed, you have been found wanting, and you have been discarded. You've been appointed, you've been evaluated, you've been removed. In other words... This was God's response to Belshazzar's taunt. Belshazzar, you think think you're king. You think you're impregnable. You're about as much of a king as one of those little wooden idols is a god. Your kingdom is so fragile that I'm just going to tear it into like a piece of paper. This is sort of the your mama wears combat boots insult, right? You get it? You get what he's saying? Let me, let, let me draw this to a close and apply this in, in our lives here. Guys, when God, now this is important, when God writes on the walls of your life, it will either be a grace or it will be a judgment for you. It will be a grace or a judgment for every person who's ever lived. Make no mistake, the writing on the wall is terrible news for Belshazzar. Judgment is coming, and that right soon. Look at verse 30. It says, Belshazzar, this very night. Does that sound familiar? Where else in the scriptures have we heard about the suddenness of God's judgment in, the, in those terms? With well, a rich fool. Fool, that this very night your soul will be required of you. We think about King Saul. King Saul, today this kingdom is torn asunder. From your hands, God is writing on the walls of Belshazzar's life, and it is a judgment, and it is terrible. And make no mistake, guys, this Christian doctrine of eternal punishment, eternal hell—we cannot lose it. We cannot mute it. It gives urgency to this life. It gives meaning to this life. We have to preach it to each other. It's not all we preach. But we got to preach it to each other. We have to preach it to our. We have to preach it to our kids. Guys, if there's no judgment, there's going to be no justice. you understand? There's no no justice without God's judgment. It was judgment to Belshazzar. But here's what's beautiful, and here's the Gospel in Daniel, verse 31. See, when, when God goes to write on the walls of our lives as His people, He invites us in to see it as His mercy, and his grace. But see, while this was terrible news to Belshazzar, do you understand that it was wonderful news to Daniel? It was wonderful news for God's people. Because Cyrus was coming into town. And Cyrus was whom? Cyrus was the guy who was going to issue the decree to free all of the Israelites and send them back to their homeland. See, this is, this is great news for Daniel. It just all depends upon whose side your heart is aligned with. Let me ask you this question again. We're going to close. What is God writing on the walls of your heart and life this morning? Where is he giving you warnings as initiatives of his love? as an invitation to his grace, as an invitation to his mercy, as an open door to say, I receive you. I want to be your Lord. I am your Lord. Recognize my lordship in your life. This is a grace to you. Will you listen? Will I listen? Will be a grace? See, here's the irony that Belshazzar despised Daniel And Daniel was the only one that could help him. The one the king hates the most is the only one who can provide rescue. And that should sound familiar. Because we're all Belshazzars. That we've turned our hearts away from God and darkened our understanding and pursued our own way and played the Belshazzar in our own lives. But while we were yet sinners, what? Christ. Died for us. While we were his enemies, he went to the cross for us. Guys, God gave us the story of Daniel because here is the gospel. So that you and I, as God writes on the walls of our hearts, that we would run to the cross, finding his grace, finding his mercy, because, because, Jesus took God's judgment for us. You don't have to take it for yourself flee from the coming wrath and trust in the mercy and grace of the King. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are now praying that you would not let these words fall to the ground, but that in fact, we would recognize your sovereign supernatural intervention as your grace, as your mercy to us. That we would not harden our hearts. That we would receive your corrective discipline your loving hand. Lord, speak truth to our hearts this morning in comfort that you were in control, that you were sovereign over the affairs of men, and of your kingdom there will be no end. In name we pray, amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. As our ushers, I'm sorry, as our leaders come forward and ready, prepare to serve the elements of the Lord's table. What we do every week when we come to the Lord's table, is we are saying, for us, as God's people, the cross is not judgment. It's judgment over our sin, but that was born by Jesus. Here at the cross, we find mercy and grace.